Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 166. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's always great to end your hard day of pounding the pavement, working your bones off, and then all of a sudden, you got that ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue to end your hard-working day. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. And our guest is uh, no stranger to this program, a man that uh, has been my buddy a long time. I call him friend, but he is the man when it comes to almost everything NHL at this point, but especially the NHL draft. It's TSN's director, of scouting and that is craig button a former gm former head scout you name it he's done it all and uh, let's bring craig in craig thanks for joining us it's always a pleasure uh to have you on this program i'll begin with this art you know two things that have two different meanings go blue that has to do with labatt's blue being the sponsor (laughs) and with our favorite team in uh, college uh the university of michigan wolverine right there's no (laughs) doubt i mean we we could make this whole podcast about michigan alone and a significant part of it probably will be about michigan but uh a a few uh, breaking news here and we're doing this on uh on uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, word just came out that the uh, Red Wings have made a trade for a goaltender, which probably isn't that surprising when you look at it. But uh, uh, a young man with local ties here, uh, Alex Nadalkovich uh, from Carolina, and the Canes get a third-round pick, which I assume is in this year's draft, and also the negotiating rights until i guess uh, the 28th of july when free agency begins for uh who will soon be an unrestricted free agent goaltender jonathan bernier craig what do you think of this deal I- i'm a big fan of alex nadelkovich huge fan of alex nadelkovich and you know he's he's 25 years old now and he certainly found a form that was very successful I have to share this story with you, Art. All right. Because I don't like because because there's a connection here, and it goes back to the 2014 draft. Now, Alex Nedeljkovic played. You know, he was playing with the Plymouth Whalers, and then he went and joined uh, Team USA at the Under 18 uh, Championship in Finland in 2014. The center ice on that team were three players. You might recognize their names: Dylan Larkin. Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews. Do you, do you recall any of them? Do you know those names? They sound familiar, <laughs> Craig. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, they won. But Alex Nedeljkovic was the goaltender. Anyway, he goes there. He was superb. But there was a the Czech Republic was a very good team. Jakub Verana and David Pasternak were on that Czech team. They were playing Team USA. I'll never forget it. It was on the power play. And where I was sitting, we were doing broadcasts, but where I was looking... The puck comes from below the left wing uh, uh, corner, and it comes right to Jakob Verana on the right wing dot. Okay. He goes to step in, and you can just see him pause. Alec Nedeljkovic comes right across, gets into position, stands there, and, and it was like Jakob Verana double-clutched, and he hit Nedeljkovic right in the chest. I'm going to fast forward. At the combine that year, I go to Jakob Verana, and I said, do you remember this play? at the U18 tournament. He goes, oh yeah, I remember exactly. He goes, he goes, most goalies go down and they come across. I was looking to go top shelf 
And he goes, the Dalkovich came there and he was standing up. He goes, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so, so now that they're teammates, right? And, and it goes into Alex. I think Alex has a brilliant goaltending mind. I think he reads the play exceptionally well. I don't think he compromises his position. He understands how to get himself not only into a really good position, how to maintain it. And you know, as well as anybody, Art, that in the National Hockey League, half seconds are long stretches of time. Mm -hmm. So when you can prevent a shooter and get into his space uh, with respect to taking away a half a second of time, that's the difference between a goal going in and a goal not going in. Alex Nedeljkovic reads the play as, as well as any young goaltender I've ever seen. He gets himself into the right positions. He doesn't compromise himself. He's a, he's a great competitor. And he was a second-round draft pick. And you know what? Maybe there's this, uh, uh, you know, this idea, oh, he's not six foot four. Well, I'll tell you what. Alex Nedeljkovic plays the position exceptionally well. Love him. Well, that yeah, it sounds it sounds great, and uh, you know it seems like a fair price negotiating rights to Bernier. You would have to think that that you know within the next uh, uh, six days here or so, uh, Bernier probably will work out a deal with Carolina and uh, also a third round pick. I mean, let, let's be honest, uh, goaltending uh, is in short supply for the Detroit Red Wings throughout their organization. So obviously, to add Nadalkovich to the mix is uh, is really a good move for Detroit. Well, it is because you, you have that player now that, that, that to me has established himself as an NHL goaltender. Now, now, you know, there's going to be a lot more film on him and teams are going to try to find uh, vulnerability. I say good luck because, uh, you know, it's not that Alex or any other goaltender doesn't have them, but because he's so smart and because he's so technically sound, you know, it, he, he doesn't break down. He doesn't allow himself to you know, put himself in those compromising positions. It, it also, and I will say this about the Detroit Red Wings uh, goaltending system, you know, Philip Larson, he, he, he's a goaltender with some promise. You know, Victor Bradstrom, uh, you know, another big goaltender. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 22, mm -hmm. 23, 24 year old goaltenders, you know, that they have in the system. It also affords them an opportunity for these goaltenders to, to develop. And, and, and to develop at their own, uh, on their own uh, timeline. And I think that that's really important. They drafted Bednar last year. They have Petrozelli. They have Eliasson. Uh, so, so they have a, a big uh, like body, a big group of goaltenders, a large group of, of goaltenders that now they, they don't have to get them over to North America. They can play. They can get the opportunity to develop their game. But from a National Hockey League point of view, putting those young goaltenders into position to see how, how well they develop, how much they develop along their own timelines becomes a whole lot easier when you have an established NHL goaltender. And that's what Nadalkovich is in my view. Right. Reports are circulating, although the Red Wings haven't come out with this, but they never really uh, released terms of a contract anyway, that uh, Nadalkovich has agreed to a, uh, a two-year deal with the Red Wings uh, with a, an average cap hit of $3 million per season, which, again, seems like a pretty uh, fair price. That's what they paid Jonathan Bernier. Yeah, and, and price. And, you know, one of the questions that, uh, for me, begs to be asked is why would Carolina let him go? 
Like, you know, but we've seen in other cases, you know, they, they, they have a pretty strong commitment to what they believe is a, is a salary and a, and a structure of salary that fits uh, certain categories of players. Uh, I, have to, I have to think and assume that this might have been part of it. But it uh, doesn't matter for the Detroit Red Wings. They, 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 I think they get a real good young goaltender. Well, you know how this age is now, Craig. I mean, just looking at Twitter, if you were doing the, uh, I guess, the Red and Black Authority, uh, uh, the Carolina podcast, uh, I think that's what that's what you would be talking about. Why would the Canes do this? Uh, everybody seems to be uh, kind of scratching their head uh, down in the, uh, uh, probably both Carolinas uh, to this deal. But yet, you know, obviously where Carolina is at right now, and they were my dark horse to win it all, and I wasn't surprised that... Uh, uh, you know how well they played, and that they won their uh, uh, they, they won the uh, their division this year, the Central Division, I guess it was called. Uh, I, I keep losing track, but uh, uh, but I mean they're a good young club. There's no doubt, and I mean you know Peter Mrazek still there. Looks like Jonathan Bernier. Uh, you know, Reimer still, you know, I think in the mix. So, I mean, they they have some goaltending. And, uh, you know, Craig, you know, let me ask you this, because when I was talking about the draft with everybody, and, and we're going to get into the draft here in a second, but um, I was told by, by, by accomplished NHL goaltenders who may not be in the league anymore that, hey, look, you can always get a goaltender. You can always get one. You can always find a goaltender. So even though it's the most important position on the ice, even though you think your team might be thin there, there's always a goaltender to get. Do you believe that? Well, I mean, is there always a goaltender to get? Yeah. But I'm going to quote Scotty Bowman talking about goaltending. You know, he said, goaltending isn't important unless you don't have it. <laughs> so you, you, you know it's always funny and who, do, do you ever hear the Tampa Bay Lightning talk about oh yeah goaltending is easy to find no because they got it right 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 and right like, so who are the teams that talk about oh goaltending we can find them anywhere well they're the ones that are constantly on the on, on, on the lookout to find them you, you know it's like saying there's lots of defensemen out there so you can find one anywhere Oh, really? You can find Victor Hedman. You can find Kale McCarr. You know, back in the day, you can find Nick Lidstrom. Oh, really? Okay, I'll tell you what. Or, you know what? There's lots of goaltenders out there. Okay? The, right. the, the objective isn't to get a goaltender. The objective is to get a goaltender that can give your team every opportunity to be the best team possible. And that's the goal. And there, guess what? There aren't as many as people think. No, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm right there. I mean, you know, I I know you know this from last year from our, our my conversation. I was begging Steve to take uh, 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 Askarov at uh, at number four, you know, and uh, you know he told me that was a little too high. But with that said, and I know I, I really want to when we get into the draft, I want to hone in on, and I have a couple of other questions, but. How you and I are both, you know, Jesper Wallstedt fans, or thought that Detroit was might take him at number six. I know in some of your uh, uh, earlier mock drafts you had them taking him at number six. Will this? Do you think this could impact what Detroit does with that number six pick, or could Wallstedt still be in their mix? <laughs> here's here's what I would say about Steve. Okay. Okay. Steve is is going to make uh, decisions that he feels are best for his team. 
and, and that goes without saying, right? right? And so what I would say is he doesn't close his mind to any possibility that considers it. You, you just mentioned a scar off. He thought it was a little bit too high. Lucas Raymond is a terrific young player. I just mentioned some of the goaltenders they have in their system. You know, Moritz Sider, and there was a, I mean, and it's not fair, and I say this all the time, for people to raise their eyebrows and go, oh boy, he was taken off the board. I don't know, Steve Eisenman has a board, and his board said Moritz Sider. And uh, when I did my top affiliated prospects outside the NHL this year that I, that I did in March, I think, this year, at the top of it was Moritz Sider. Guess what? I, I underestimated him. I, 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 I thought he was a good, solid player better than I gave him credit for. That's the job of scouting. So what I would say is this, if they feel that Jesper Wallstead is the best player and fits what they're looking for at, at pick six or if they move or whatever they do, uh, th then that's what they're going to do. He's not gonna bind himself. Steve is not gonna bind himself to this player or that player or this position or that passport or anything. He's gonna look at it globally, and, and, and I say that both with respect to nationality and to you know, what, what he feels best fits his team. And we get so much of the time focused in on the sixth pick. Well, there's another first round pick they have, and then there's other picks they have in the other right. rounds, right? So there's a lot of opportunity to, to, to look. And I, I, I think this draft has a lot of real strong depth past the, second, past the first round with defensemen, with forwards that can play in your top four as defensemen, you know, offensive forwards and goaltenders. So, you know, th those are things that, you know, when you go deeper into the draft and, and, and you've you got other players that a lot of people, you know, simply don't know about, but the NHL scouting staff do, you know, we have to consider that. But, you know, I, if we want to talk about Jesper Wallstead as a goaltender, I think he's terrific. I think he's got lots of potential to be a number one. I think that, you know, I hear this all the time. Oh, well, goaltenders take a little bit longer to develop. Now, outside of Owen Power, Matty Beneers, I think that any other player you'd be considering to take, uh, a forward or a defenseman, uh, you know, with Wallstead, I, I, I don't think Wallstead's development path is any further behind to the NHL than any forward or defenseman you would draft. He's, he, he's played in the SHL. He's got uh, really strong uh, 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 skills. He's got technical skills. He's got athletic skills. He's got a good brain. And to me, you know, that, 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 that translates to a number one goaltender. But, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, he, 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 he automatically he's a guy. Does he, in my view, should you be considering him in, the, in, in that part of the draft? Absolutely. Well, I, I, I want to ask you this, because what I find extraordinary about Wallstedt has done, and from reading up on it, at 18 years old, to play in the SHL and put up the numbers he did against essentially older competition, where if you look at his body of work, and I'm not taking anything away from all the other goaltending prospects, because you know really that's how the system is, is usually you play, for the most part, against your peers or, or people close in your age, uh, but he is an exception. Does that make him that more attractive that he has shown an emotional maturity and talent that most 18-year-olds, whether a goaltender or a forward, do not show in the SHL? Well, I think if we just look at it from a goaltending point of view, I think it's like it, it's not just as an 18-year-old. This is an 18-year-old. It's, it's as a 17-year-old. It's being able to handle the right. demands. 
you're trying to project players to the NHL. And so at the different levels, you know, below the NHL, you're trying to figure out, okay, you know, you know, we know he's been a good player. I always say this, Art. The NHL teams draft the players that have been the best at the level below them. Right. So right, not, right, right. They're not drafting a five-goal score and projecting them to be a 30-goal score. They're drafting 50-goal <laughs> scores, expecting them to be successful at the NHL level. But the closer, the, the more success that you have at, at higher levels and, 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 and at levels that replicate the NHL a little bit closer, it gives you a greater confidence in projecting your abilities. You know, the SHL is a good league. It's challenging. It's hard. There's good offensive players in there. And so when you go in there at 18 and you're able to show that you can handle the challenges thrown your way, coaches are putting in players at, in the positions at that, at that, in, in, in those leagues that they can help them win. The SHL isn't like sign up on the, on the sign-up sheet and let's have a participation league. It, it's serious business. So the fact that Jesper Wallstad has had success is significant. And I think it also speaks to what I said earlier about him being advanced as a goaltender. Right. I don't think he needs five years. And when I say that, I think, you know, in terms of development time, I don't think there's a forward or defenseman you can draft at the, at the, at, 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 in, in, in consideration around Jesper Wallstad that's further advanced in terms of the timeline to the NHL. So absolutely, I think that that speaks volumes about him. Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. I, I, again, I, because, you know, everyone thinks I'm addicted to goaltenders and a goaltending freak. And, you know, people go back to, you know, my days on the Red Wing Radio Network and I was always tight with the goalies and Ozzy's one of my good buddies. But, but overall, I just feel it's such an important position. And I, and I know Steve obviously, uh, uh, covets the position. Look what he did with that 19th pick he got from Detroit for Kyle Quincy many years back in the three-team trade, including the uh, Colorado Avalanche in that. Uh, you know, Vasilevsky's the guy he takes. And, you know, from what I had heard over the years was that everyone said, why would you do that? Ben Bishop's going to be here forever. And he was guaranteeing people that Vasilevsky was going to be the starter in two years. And I think pretty much he was. Well, how about this, Art? How about if we go to the last four teams standing in the NHL draft mm-hmm. or the NHL playoffs. Right. So Mark Andre Fleury was a first round draft pick. Carey Price was a first round draft pick. Uh, Vasilevsky was a first round draft pick, and Semyon Varlamov was a first round draft pick. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but you can't draft goalies in the first round. Oh really? Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, tell, tell, tell me more, uh, hockey sage. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Whatever you say. Okay. <laughs> right. Good. What other, what other nugget in it? What you know, uh, nugget of wisdom you want to impart on me? You know, I, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, let, let's just get into the draft because we're so deep into it now, and then I'll ask you a, a couple of other questions here towards the end. But, uh, uh, but, but overall. Um, there is a feeling talking to certain people around the league that when when the draft time comes, when you walk into, in this case, 32 war rooms, shall I say, and you look at their draft boards, they're somewhat similar. Certain guys might be rated two or three spots higher than another. Somebody might be dropping. But you can kind of get a feel or for a mix of, of what teams are thinking. 
I have heard that the assumption this year going into the draft is because you were essentially landlocked to the country you were in because of uh, of COVID-19, that this could be, if you go in now and look at 32 draft boards, none are going to be close to one another. They're all going to be all over the place. Is, is that how you view this draft? Yeah, I, I, I do. And, 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 you know, when you think about March of 2020, when uh, the pandemic began, and it had a, it had a material effect on, on the players, on the leagues, and certainly on evaluation. And, you know, you have players that played some games. You've had players that played a little bit more. And you've had some players that just haven't. And, and some of them have been displaced in terms of where they had to go play. And, and others, you know, like uh, Owen Power and Matty Beneers and Kent Johnson at the, at the University of Michigan, you know, they, they had the benefit of, a, a, a really, you know, as close to a normal schedule as you could have. You know, so, you know, their opportunity to show is, is a little bit better. You go into a draft, Art, and the scouts put so much time and effort into evaluating players and, you know, the discussions, debates and, you know, trying to come to a point in time where, okay, here's our group of players, here's who we're considering, you know, but what you're trying to do is, is what, what I call building up your confidence level. That's, you're trying to get that meter to be higher. Right. Okay, this is the players that we really believe in. Ultimately, you have to make a decision and you go there, right? And, and in the best case scenarios, the confidence level is never 100%. You believe in players, you want the player, you're happy to get the player, but the confidence levels are never 100%. They can't be, just because you have to be realistic. Right. But what you do go, in this year's draft, what you're faced with, there's no way those confidence levels can be anywhere near as high as they have been in previous years. Now, that leads to probably, to, and I agree with you, a greater disparity in how those different boards look, right? I'm not, I'm not a believer in best player available. I don't, if, if everybody could do best player available, it would be simple as one, two, three, four. Oh, that's the next guy. We'll take him at five. Oh, he's, a, and as you point out with 32 boards, like if it was the same, then everybody would just go around it. I hear it all the time. Well, best player available. Well, tell me who it is. Right, right. <laughs> because these are the debates and discussions the NHL teams are. But I hear, oh, best player available. Oh, well, who is that? No, it's best player available that you have in a group that you've evaluated. So there is no best player available. Yeah, I know when Connor McDavid comes along, there's best player available and, you know, what, what not. But for the most, for the, in the vast majority of cases, it's a group of players. And you're trying to build up your confidence through continuous evaluation, watching them in the different... Uh, you know, time periods, you know, watching a player, let's say last summer entering his draft year and then following them through the fall into the spring as the competition, you know, becomes a little bit more challenging as, as they get to play at higher levels in tournaments and whatnot. It's it, it, you're evaluating them and, and you're trying to really build that confidence level. And there's just there's no way there's no way that the confidence levels can be as high this year as they have been in previous years. When with with that said, when you look at this draft, Craig, and I mean, I know that you know you're always all over this. So you, you know you've done it uh, uh, forever, and and I just love I always love your philosophy. And one thing that you told me many many years ago, it could have been in the press box at U of M for all I can remember, <laughs> uh, that if you like a player 
and you want that player. Regardless of what other teams or what the outside noise is saying, and your time comes to draft and he's there, just take him. Just take him. If you want him, when that opportunity comes, just take him regardless of, you know, that's the guy you want, that's the guy you should take. And and I, I you know, I, I completely agree with that. I sometimes shake my head and wonder, is that a general philosophy or are some guys falling each other trying to at almost times justify their job or something that, you know, some picks you just scratch your head at, but then again... I go back to what you say, and when you said, "Look, that's who they wanted, that's who they took." I mean, you, you in a way, you got to respect that. Well, and, and I do respect that. And why don't we just go back to Morris Sider, right? Right. And so you know, he, he went sixth overall. Uh, like uh, you know, my understanding is is that you know Steve explored options to move back, but he realized I'm not going to be able to do it because if I move back too far, I'm not going to get the guy I like. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to get the guy I like. He knew who he liked, right? Right, right. So, <laughs> he goes, I'm not going to get that guy. Which also tells you that other teams were stepping up on Moritz Sider, stepping up, you know, in, like in quotation marks, you know, you know right. air quotes. Anyway, <laughs> and I remember, I might have told you this, and it, but, but it bears repeating because, like, as I watched, like, I really, I like Moritz Sider. You know, I, you know, I looked at his game and I looked and I said, does he have the offensive skills? Does he have the puck play skills to really be that real top, top type of defenseman? He was an excellent skater, competitor, smart, all those other things. But I remember, you know, talking to Jeff Blaschel after the draft. And we were standing around just talking. And I just said, yeah, you know what? Like, you, you take a player there. And I, I said the same thing. If you like him, take him. Don't worry what anybody else says. <laughs> right, right. And he asked me what I, I said. I said, I can only tell you this. If he ends up developing those puck skills, he's going to be really good. But I said, at the very least, I see uh, a player like Brandon Carlo. Right. And Jeff looked at me, he goes, Brandon Carlo's pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, you know, Brandon Carlo was a second-round draft pick. Now, I bring that up because now watching Morris Sider, guess what? Steve Eisman and Detroit Red Wings – they saw that potential. I talked to people in Mannheim. They said he didn't get enough. He didn't get a lot of time on the power play. But given it, he, he would become that player that would be better offensively and be able to contribute. I saw it in Grand Rapids last year and, you know, when he was playing there. Certainly this year. I mean, we're talking now. Like, Morris Sider, to me, has every opportunity to be a, a real top-notch Right, right shot defenseman in National Hockey League. They can play every situation. And again, it all starts with, this is what we like. We're going to try to, we think we can get, we think he's got more potential in this regard. Celebrate it. I'll tell you what, they celebrated it at the time. It looks like the Red Wings are going to be celebrating it for a very long time. Well, yeah, without question. I mean, what he's been able to do, you know, my my, my big joke is, and I know uh, people <laughs> people who listen to this podcast, they don't say this again, but, you know, it seems that every situation the Red Wings put him in, you know, I, 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 I my joke is, is that if there's a team in Reykjavik, I'm sure that's where Steve's going to send him next. I mean, <laughs> what more does a kid have to do? I mean, let, let, let's see him here in Detroit, but, you know, but that isn't, but that isn't my call. But the assumption is, of course, is that he should be a Red Wing once training camp breaks uh, in October. He has certainly shown that he can handle the, the various challenges. 
whether playing in Mannheim in the, in the DEL in his draft year, whether coming to the American Hockey League and playing in Grand Rapids, you know, as an 18-year-old, going back to Sweden and playing in Rogla and, and, and playing well and, and, and then going to the World Championships again. I mean, we're, we're talking about, to your point, you know, you're showing every single sign that as, as the competition becomes greater and better and the challenges are much more significant, you just keep meeting it. It's, it, it's no different than what, what I would say. It, 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 it's, it's like in university. You, you ace your freshman year. You ace your sophomore year. You ace your junior year. Now you're ready to get into your senior year and start thinking about graduate school. Well, graduate school for, for Moritz Sider is the Detroit Red Wings. And as you get into the NHL, you know, perhaps one day he'll earn his PhD like Nick Lichstrom. Right, that's you know? right. But 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 that's but 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 you got to get in. You got to get into the graduate school of the NHL to start working on your PhD. I think that Moritz Sider is right there, but you know, it's another sign as you meet those challenges and you show that you're capable, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's certainly every in my view, there's every belief that uh, he can play in the National Hockey League next year and earn that spot in Detroit. Well, let's uh, I, you know, I could go heavy Red Wings right now, but I'm not. I, I really want to go back into the draft a little bit. And your overall assessment of this class, I know that you know sometimes it's heavy in forward, sometimes it's heavy in defense, or this is a good class, this isn't a draft, a good, bad class, uh, or this isn't a down year for the draft, this is a great year for the draft. But your philosophy always seems to be it's always a great year for the draft. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 it, and it makes sense. Uh, so tell me how great a year is this year, 2021, in the NHL entry draft? Well, I mean, I, I, again, every draft has its own personality, it right. its own right. DNA, right? Like, right. So, you know, you got good defensemen here, you got good forwards. To, to me, it's evaluating that class. It's evaluating what the opportunities are for you to select players and understanding, uh, you know, what the players' strengths are, What understanding, you know, where you can help them develop in, in, in the areas that they need to develop. Keep in mind, you're drafting 17- and 18-year-old kids for the most part. And then, you know, your development and, and, and what you project them to be. And, and I see lots of good players here. I see lots of good players well past the first round. And again, drafts get defined by the top end of a draft if it's good or it's not good. And, you know, I, I just mentioned uh, David Pasternak. I, I believe he was the 26th pick in the draft. Right, right. Like, you know, we talk about Andre Vasilevsky. He was the 19th pick in the draft in 2012. He's the best player from that draft. So when we start to look at and, and look at the at the depth of a draft, and and, and I like to I, I like to qualify it. Yeah, it's easy to say there's depth. Well, I'll tell you why I think there's depth. I, I think there's really good forwards here into the second round that can be top six forwards that can provide offense for you that are that are really good. Like. Everybody has to be put into your same. Everybody has to be put into a positive environment. That goes without saying. But I think there's lots of potential there. I see a lot of defensemen that are green, but off, off have have an opportunity to be top two pair defensemen. D different types of defensemen. Some that might be more weighted offensively. Some that are a little bit more defensive and you, you know aren't going to provide you the same offensive numbers, but are going to give you really good productive play on the blue line. 
And then there's goaltenders. I mean, we talk about Jesper Wallstadt. Sebastian Kosu to me is a is is a, is right. a top-notch goaltender. But Tristan Lennox is a good goaltender in my view. Benjamin Goudreau is a good goaltender. And it doesn't stop there. There's good goaltenders available. So when I talk about the, the, this draft being good, I see real quality. Quality. And I'm not talking about players that will play in the NHL. I'm talking about top two line forwards that can provide offense and different elements, top, top two pair defensemen and goaltenders. That, to me, is what I see in this draft. Well, I and and you know, again, I, you know, I I I've bought in hook, line, sinker, and everything that you, that you ever tell me, Craig. But I, I really have. But I mean, I, I I mean, it makes so much sense when you explain it that way. And so, you, I, I think if you're a fan of a, a particular NHL team, you should be excited about tomorrow to see exactly, you know, how your brain trust is going to uh, uh, continue to either, uh, you know, build your team. Or maintain your um, elite level of excellence if that's where your your club is at. Let's uh let's go to uh, uh, a, a bit of your mock draft and uh, ask you about some of the players. And sure. I, I'm not going to ask you about all of them. Uh, I mean, because as you just said, we go into the second round where we could be up to almost 60 players. <laughs> that's just my attention span just w- wouldn't hold me. Uh, but uh, first of all, it looks like the definitive number one pick, and he, when he was at the World Championship, he really seemed to solidify himself uh, with Team Canada, I believe playing with uh, Red Wing Troy Stetcher. Uh, Owen Power out of Michigan, uh, 6'5", big kid, 213. Comparisons maybe to Victor Hedman. Uh, uh, I mean... Slam dunk, right, Craig? Owen Power goes number one. Well, here's what I say. You know, I'm not I'm not in the Buffalo Sabres shoes. I don't I don't know what they're thinking. I don't see a better player available in the draft than Owen Power. I don't see a, a more unique player. And maybe maybe Sebastian Kosa and Zachary LaHaroux might qualify as unique players. And and I'll just mention those guys real quick. Sebastian Kosa, the goaltender, six mm-hmm. foot six. He's a right. six foot six goaltender that's got really good ability and he's got a real presence in the net. Zachary LaHaroux reminds me of Brad Marchand. So I'm talking about unique players and I put Owen Power in that unique category because I see I see somebody that when, when and the Victor Hedman comparison for me it, it is not is not Victor Hedman it's a number one pillar defenseman right, right. that can play in every single situation in the game. And it doesn't matter where he is on the ice. It doesn't matter who he's out on the ice versus. This young man is able to command the game. He's able to meet the challenges of every critical situation in the game. And having watched him since he was 15 years of age, you, you, we talk about meeting, you know, uh, you know, acing every test along the way. Well, the next test that Owen Power fails will be the first one. Wow! Well, that's quite that, that, that's quite a compliment. Uh, yeah, well, you know, obvi- you know, hopefully he says he's leaning towards going back to Michigan. I know that uh, uh, you know Michigan fans are holding their breath and hope that uh, uh, that 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 he does go back to Michigan. Up second uh, is uh, uh, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, you know, kind of an interesting show last night. Anticlimactic since all the picks were known before the show began, but uh, the expansion draft. But Seattle pretty creative the way they. Uh, 
uh, you know, they, they announced their picks, the Red Wing pick with an octopus, uh, licorice from the uh, Seattle Aquarium out there. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and poor Dennis was gone. Uh, but uh, but with that said, uh, Seattle Kraken, Manny Berniers, I love this kid. I love his motor. I had predicted in my mock draft, which has been out for a couple of weeks, uh, that uh, he is a future captain of the Kraken. But... Uh, uh, maybe, maybe I'm overstating it, but Manny Bernier seems to have uh, almost all the boxes checked there, Craig. Yeah, well, I would I would totally concur with you. And why don't we just consider who the uh, GM is of the Seattle Kraken? <laughs> right. Hall of Famer Ron Francis, right. captain in the NHL. Uh, you know, superb two-way centerman. You know, talk about checking all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, we look at the we look at the uh, the expansion draft. And, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, of those types of players. So when I look at a player, and I, like I've compared him in terms of style of play to Bo Horvat, the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Art, I've had people in the NHL that have watched him say, you know what, Craig? He goes, Bo Horvat's a really good player. His game might, might resemble a little bit more that of Jonathan Taze. Okay, I'm Whoa. sorry. Whoa, <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. Whoa, right? <laughs> All right. Okay. But and, and nobody's saying that he is Jonathan Taze, but when you when people that are very well respected from my point of view use Jonathan Taze as a comparable type and say that he resembles a lot of those L, I'm like, okay, I'll, 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 I take notice. And I think what it really does though, it puts a real significant stamp on what Matty Beniers is gonna to bring to a team. I, you know what I call him? I call him an everywhere, all the time, 100% in it to win it player. Well, and that's, uh, you know, and, and you know what? You know who you also described in that is Steve Eiserman when he yes. was a player. He's the same way. Well, again, like a captain of a, 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 a Hall of Famer, right? Right, I mean, right, right. right. And, 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 you know, I, I think one of the things, too, is when you think about Steve and you think about Ron as players, think about them in terms of, you know, what they value in, in terms of management, right? And like, you know, what made them great players was, you know, they they contributed, you know, uh, in whatever way they were asked. And, and, and that changed over time for both of them. But, you know, you think about Ron Francis, you know, being traded to Pittsburgh and playing behind Merrill Lemieux. But then Ron right. just, well, he knew what he was going to do. You think about Steve Eiserman, you know, one of the top offensive players, you know, through the early part of his career, becoming just a superb two-way player because they had other players that could provide the offense, and Steve was so good in those other areas. So they valued it as players. They contributed as players, and they don't value those types of players and those types of uh, critical attributes any less as managers in trying to build their teams. Right. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I look back at, you know, up the middle at, at one time. I mean, you had, uh, uh, you know, I always tell, you know, the, the youngsters of today, you have Steve Eiserman and Sergey Fedorov as your two top centers. Not only were they great, but they were two of the best five, top five centers in the entire world at the time, and they played together for 14 years. Then you throw Igor Larionov in the mix and Chris Draper. I mean, that's, you know, there you go, boy. I mean, that's that's a pretty strong team up the middle. Uh, you know, yeah, then you get Nick back there and Chelly, and then in the beginning, you know, God, you know, uh, good old Vladdy. I mean, so, I mean, you know, you can see, uh, you know, how a team – 
what 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 strengths are of a team, but I you know I can go on about the I I can wax poetic about the Red Wings forever, so I'm going to cut cut that out. A guy who there's nothing wrong when you have that measure of success and you look at the Stanley Cup banners. Look at the Stanley Cup banners now in Little Caesars Arena, right? That used to hang in Joe Louis, right? Like 97, 98, 02, right? Like you know, well, look at the center ice. Right. Like, I mean, right. like that is like right there. There's a template and, and, and you, you try to, you know, we talk about copycat and try to look at a template. Now, the, the, you're never going to find another Steve Eisman, but the importance or a Sergey Fedorov or a Chris Draper. But you know what? Braden Point and mm-hmm. Yanni Gore. Right. They, they bring those types of elements to a team, right? And, you, you know, Steven Stamkos, when he was playing center, plays wing, right? But it's critically important to success to have those positions occupied by players that can contribute in so many different ways. The the front end of that with, with what I call really significant responsibility to score. But then no less significance for Chris Draper to do what he did exceptionally well. Right. And Igor Larionov at that stage of his career to, to, to provide so much balance and, and, and contributions in so many different ways, that sense of calm. That's what's critical. And three Stanley Cups with that group of center icemen, you know, I, th- th- that's all the evidence you need. Arthur. Right. No, you're right. You're right. And, uh, you know, it, and uh, sometimes I just go on too, too, too much about it and spend way too much of my uh, uh, <laughs> my leisure time thinking about it. Uh, uh, up third, uh, the Anaheim Ducks who need all kinds of stuff, but especially offense. And uh, uh, Dylan Gunther seems to be uh, the guy you think they're going to go with. Well, I do. I mean, like, I mean, could they take William Eklund? Yeah, they could take William Eklund. He's a really good offensive player. I mean, but I, I think when you look at the challenges that the Anaheim Ducks had in scoring, they drafted Jamie Drysdale last year. They have a really good goaltender in John Gibson. They have some really good defensemen. But, you know, like, you, you can have good goaltending and you can have really good defense and you can have really good hardworking forwards that check and play physical. If you don't score... You know, so much of those efforts become what I call unrewarded. Not, not that you don't value and respect, uh, you know, how, how hard people work. But at the end of the night, you, you, need to, you need to have a win. You can't just have, well, we worked hard and, you know, we really have something to hang our hat on. And offense is, is, is a differentiator. You know, Ken Holland, you know, we were talking, I forget who the player we were talking about a couple seasons ago. He said, yeah, people tell me all he does is score. He goes, well, I look at the scoreboard at the end of the night, and if we have more goals than the other team, we win. <laughs> right. Don't don't tell me all he does is score. It matters. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 exactly. I, yeah, it, it's kind of funny sometimes when people are, you know, just like talking off the cuff or whatever what they say, and you're saying, yeah, but isn't that a good thing? Uh, You you know, number four, and and, and I've gone all over the board. I'm thinking, you know, it would be a marketer's, uh, you know, dream to have uh, Luke Hughes playing with his brother Jack in in New Jersey. But, uh, 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 and I'm almost convinced myself, but a guy who has been linked to the Red Wings, you have going to New Jersey at number four, and that's uh, uh, Mason McTavish. Yeah, you know what, like I'm having fun with it. I'd like to tell you I I'd like I'd like to tell you I know. Listen, <laughs> and, and I think it's important to say this. Okay, at, at, at the draft is going to unfold tomorrow, 
And t teams picking five don't know who they're going to pick because they don't know what team four or right. three or two are going to do in front of them. And as you get deeper down to nine and ten and eleven, you think those teams know what they're going to who they're going to pick? They don't. They don't. <laughs> and again, it go. It would be easy if it was just best player available. Well, okay, well, good. Well, we'll just check that off. That's the guy, right? It isn't like that. Already. Right. Right. And so. I like to have some fun. I like to acknowledge that how am I supposed to know who these teams are going to draft when they don't know who they're going to draft. But <laughs> you look at the top part of the draft, you try to look at who might be a nice fit, you look at their depth chart and whatnot. And, you know, I, I think a defenseman could be a good fit in uh, uh, New Jersey. We know the Luke Hughes story with Jack. That would be wonderful. You know, I looked at Mason McTavish and I just said, they have Heesher. And they have Jack Hughes. They don't have a different type of centerman that can, you know, what, what I would call do the bulwark uh, mm -hmm. of, of play in different areas. And, you know, Dave Barr, uh, who coached uh, Mason at the under-18 championship where Canada won the gold medal, he, he told me, he said he reminds me a lot of Ryan O'Reilly. Wow. Who wouldn't want a Ryan O'Reilly? So, right. you know, that's why I went with Mason McDavish. And, you know, he I, I, I think he's going to, uh, you know, be a consideration uh, for a lot of teams if he doesn't go for it. It doesn't, again, it goes back to, you know, where you're looking at. I, Noah Dotson went 12th in the, 2000, in the, in the, two, uh, in the 2018 draft. 12th. Okay? Right. I know for certain teams that were picking ahead of 12th, not named the New York Islanders, were looking at Noah. If the, if, the, if the player that they ultimately drafted wasn't there, Noah Dobson was their guy. Now, that's not every team because obviously somebody would have taken him. But Noah Dobson goes to 12. That's, that's what ends up happening. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get a good player. You're going to get a really good player. And it doesn't mean that player wasn't considered further up the draft uh, order. Right. Well, I, I mean, I, and you know, I, I like going to, to 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 Columbus here at five. I am with you. I think because of the whole Seth Jones thing, and I know they need help up the middle. I understand that uh, at, at at center ice, but I just cannot see them passing up on uh, on Edvinson. You know, I, I mean, there there's just so much upside and potential with him, and you know, the blue line. You know, if Seth Jones does end up leaving Columbus, and it seems like that, you know, uh, uh, our good buddy Zach Wierenski is going to need uh, need somebody else, and Edvinson might be a good fit. Well, I think he, like, I mean, an elite skating defenseman. He'll step if he steps into the NHL next year, which I don't think he will. He'll he'll be one of the best skaters in the NHL. That's how good he is. And wow. you know, again, Columbus has two other first round draft picks plus other picks that, that they have in the draft. So there's opportunity for them to, to draft players that, that, that might be able to play center. I, again, I go back to that blue line. I, I don't know where you find six foot four defensemen right, right. that can be a top pair, and I think that he can be. I've compared Simon Edmondson to Ryan McDonough. I don't know how much offense Edmondson ultimately is going to have, but that's okay. Uh, you, you know, he, he, he may have more than I've given him credit for. But who doesn't want Ryan McDonough on their team? Right. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, I, again, I mean, 
you know, Detroit fans know what a, you know, what a balanced team is all about. And, uh, you know, and certainly uh, Edvinson is somebody that I'm impressed with. Now getting to number six, and I wanted to go through one through six because the Wings are picking uh, at, at number six. So I wanted, you know, everyone listening to get an idea of who's going to be gone, as you said, who Detroit now has uh, uh, left in the sixth spot. And the guy that you pick, which uh, uh, I think... I think they would take him in a heartbeat, even though he might be, again, a little small, I guess. But who cares anymore? Look at Cole Caulfield. Uh, Detroit Red Wings' William Eklund, I believe the number one rated skater internationally uh, from uh, NHL.com. But uh, William Eklund uh, seems to be a guy that, from everything I hear, could be, out of everybody, the most NHL-ready. Craig, your assessment. Well, I mean, when you said small, so I'm going to take you back in time a little bit. And I, 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 could, I, could, I still have my scouting books. Okay? I still have my scouting books. Okay? still have my scouting books. And I can show you them. And one day I will. I'll share them with you. Okay, you. great. I can't wait. Henrik Zetterberg's draft year. Okay? All the notes. All the notes. I can tell you exactly what they say. And it was always, we're seeing him at the tournaments. We're seeing him at different, uh, at different times over, over the course of the scouting year, year and a half. Good player, really smart, crafty, competitive, uh, you know, can make plays, you know, involved, small. Crafty, smart, really skilled, skates well, lots of potential, small. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, so, like, you know, you go back and look at that, right? And, you know, I remember talking to Bobby Clark about this years ago. He goes, I am sure that most people looked at Henrik Zetterberg and recognized the skill. What they did was is that they put too much emphasis on the size. And, you know, you get to a point where you're saying, like, really? And, and the Detroit Red Wings got to that point. And, I mean, we're taught Henrik was a great player. Right. He was a great player. Right. And, uh, you know, I've compared William Eklund a little bit more to Sebastian Ajo, but I've heard, again, people that I have great respect for say, you know what, he's got some similarities to Zetterberg. Okay, sold. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 you know what, he, you know, the way I would describe William is he, he's really quick and fast to recognize opportunity. And he's got a mentality, like, you know who my, I mean, if I was going to use a different comparable than Aho, do you know who I would use for, as him as a comparable? Who? Think out of the box, think a different sport. A different sport? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh... Lionel Messi. Oh, wow. You got to be kidding me. Really? He's got a, he's got a striker's mentality. And Lionel Messi isn't the quickest, isn't the biggest player or the guy running up. But when I say quick strike, and that's what William Eklund has. He's got that quick strike ability. I'm going to get open right now because it's the exact right time to get open. There's the hole. Give me the puck. I'm gone. I'm in. And I'm getting those opportunities. That is what I see in William Eklund offensively is that quick strike capability. He's got the skills. And I'll tell you what, he's not the fastest player. When I say fastest, I mean, I'm, his skating's really good. Don't get me wrong. But that mentality of... This is the moment, this is the time, and I'm taking it. That's what he has. Well, it seems that he has that, you know, that coveted high hockey, high hockey oh, IQ. Yeah. And, I mean, that, I think, if you're going to be a Detroit Red Wing, 
and I don't care whatever, you know, all the intangibles or the variables that you put, the number one for, if you want to be a Red Wing, is high hockey IQ. That's top. You better be able to think that game, and it certainly sounds like Eklund's one of those players. Oh, no, no, make no mistake about it, he is. And, you know, it, you know so much of the time when, I, when I'm evaluating players, especially at the lower levels, it's not so much did they get the puck. It's not so much that they get the opportunity, but that they create the opportunity. Because this is where it becomes part of the projection art, is that when they get to the NHL and they're playing with better players, they will get the puck. Right, but if you right, never right. get to the right opening at the right times when you're younger and at the lower levels, what, you think you're playing with better players? That's going to get you there? You have to get there. And right. you have to understand that. William Eklund does. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting pretty uh, uh, pretty eager and excited. Now, for those of you, uh, we have talked about uh, Jesper Wallstadt and uh, the likelihood, uh, especially with the Nadalkovic uh, trade, but uh, I, what I really want to do now is concentrate on, and, and Mason blew out here for a second, we've gone through the first six picks with the Red Wings picking number six overall. Seven to San Jose, you have Luke Hughes, um, who is uh, born and raised in Canton, uh, Canton, Michigan, and, you know, committed to Michigan. He's going to be there as a freshman. Mel Pearson assures me he's going to be there as a freshman. And then Vancouver Canucks at nine, who I think have gone on record and said, if Kent Johnson, who is also a University of Michigan player, uh, played on a, the same line with Matty Berniers, they're going to take him. I mean, he's not going to fall further than nine, meaning that if you include Hughes, and I am, four players from the University of Michigan going in the first round uh, of the 2021 draft. Is that unprecedented? Uh, Craig, can you remember uh, any kind, whether it's a junior team, an amateur team in Europe, or another NCAA team to have that kind of draft and that early? I mean, I know that schools probably have had four or five guys taken in, a, in an individual draft, but we're talking in the top ten of the first round. Well, you know, so we're looking like if that if that was the case, we're talking the first nine picks, four of them, you know, with, with Luke headed to the University of Michigan. You know, I mean, think about that. Just think about, you know, that is unprecedented. There's been there's been players drafted like from multiple from, from the same team through the first round. Top nine doesn't right. happen. The, the only one that can compare and the only one that can compare is the national team development program. Right. Right. And, right. and, and that's a collection of players, right? So right. if you go back and, 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 and you look at Trevor Zegris and you look at uh, uh, that group of players, you know, from that uh, 2001, I mean, that, that, that's, a, I mean, seven of the first 15 picks were from the National Team Development Program. You know, Spencer Knight, Matthew Boldy, you know, Jack Hughes went first overall, right? Just go back and look. I mean, it's, it, it's beyond impressive when you start, you know, Spencer Knight, Cole Caulfield, you know, Matthew Boldy, Trevor Zegris. I mean, it, uh, Cam York, you know, it, it's unbelievable. Right. It's unbelievable when you go back and you think about, you know, the quality of player that was at that, that was at that program. So outside of the national team development program, which was unprecedented at the time, you know, this would be unprecedented as well. 
Right. Well, I can remember, and I know I've told this story before, but uh, uh, Jeff Jackson, who's now the head coach at Notre Dame, when he was the, the first coach of the development program, and I remember him taking me into the locker room for the first time when it was at the Cube in Ann Arbor, and I walked in, and I saw those USA jerseys, and, you know, I, I, I was, like, stunned. I mean, it, it was like, whoa, this is so cool. And he told me that our goal is is that when the U.S. Olympic team takes the ice, in, he said, it's going to be a while. Let's, let's say give it 12 years, I don't know, 15 years, whatever. Um, we are going to want most of those players are going to come from this program. You know, we want to have a national identity. And I think they've been pretty successful with the development program. But my point being is, is when you look at what Michigan is able to do and what the development program is able to do, how has that really elevated USA hockey not only? Because I know that uh, 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 two of the four Wolverines we're talking about are Canadians, uh, but and elevated college hockey in general that, you know, it starts to have a, a firmer footing uh, in the, uh, uh, when you look at the landscape of the NHL. Well, I, I, I mean, one of the things, and, and uh, not one of the things, uh, you know, when, when the program started and, you know, you think about the late Jimmy Johansson, mm -hmm. who was instrumental. And I, and I was in right. Ann Arbor when the program got underway. So I was right there along with you watching it, What you know, the incubation and then the, the, the constant and continuous development. And go, go to 2004 when the USA won the, the gold medal at the World Junior Championship. I mean, that was really, you, you know, a first step you know, to, 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 the, to, to the program, really, you know, what, what I would call paying dividends. You know, you know the, the, the proof was in the pudding. Right. And as you move forward, you know, Patrick Kane, three Stanley Cups. I mean, coming, coming from that program, Conn Smythe, certain Hall of Famer, right? Olympics. And we're going to see more and more of that as time goes on. I just mentioned the 2014 U18 team. I mean, Noah Hannafin was on the team. Right. Alex Nedeljkovic, Larkin, uh, Matthews, Eichel. I mean, all in the end, like, I mean, not just in the NHL, we're talking about top players. So I think that, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the great things, you know, when, when, when Jimmy was, was part of developing the program, Jimmy Johansson, mm -hmm. is, is that, you know, you know, there was pockets of really good hockey in the United States. Minnesota, Michigan, and uh, the Northeast with the prep schools. And, you know, you, you're trying to move forward. Your expansion's happening in the NHL. I know Jim Lights, uh, our president in Dallas, longtime president of the, uh, of the uh, Detroit Red Wings, you know, he talked about growing the game, growing, helping right. players participate. And you're in Anaheim, you're in Dallas, you're in Florida, you're in Tampa Bay. And, and you, we knew there was good athletes there. But now you want to develop it. And so the National Team Development Program was, was not only an opportunity to bring some of the best players together in, 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 uh, to, to compete internationally, to represent the country, and to advance their development. It was to also help other players develop to come out of different pockets. And, you know, organize it in a way. The USHL has become instrumental in that. The National Team Development Program that had a higher and greater goal, uh, you know, represent the USA. I mean, the USA this year at the World Championships wins a bronze medal. You know, players now, because of their experience playing internationally, 
they want to represent the USA in international competition. And it's not just the Olympics, it's the world championships. Right, right. You know, those kids go to the U-17, they go to the U-18, they go to the U-20. I mean, the USA won the World Junior Championship this year. I mean, when you start to look at the success of USA Hockey, U-20 and below, they're a powerhouse. Right, right. They're a powerhouse. So, you know, the, 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 the beginning of it and what it's become is really significant. And I think it's really significant now for not just players that have a dream of playing in college and in the NHL, but it gives people, players, from different pockets, non-traditional hockey markets, the opportunity to come and really test yourself and to see how far you can go. I mean, Randy Hernandez, I mean, he's got Cuban roots from Florida. He comes to the program. We know what Austin Matthews from Arizona did. But if you go and look at the roster there and see how it's dotted with players from different parts of the USA, it's pretty impressive with respect to the growth and certainly as a, as a real mark, as, as a marquee, you know, place for, for USA Hockey for players to go, it certainly has, uh, to me, really uh, been significant uh, all the way through. Right, certainly. I know that uh, uh, we'll go with uh, with maybe your top 10, uh, and, and then I'll ask you about a couple of other players. Sure. And Unfortunately, I know, you know, I, I can talk to you all day. I think we're already pushing an hour, so I'm, I'm going to try to sort of hopefully wrap this up within the next 10 minutes. It, it could be an impossible, but... Uh, That's okay. Well, you know what? Nothing, you know what? It's it, we're, just, we're just enjoying it, and I enjoy it always, Art. You know, you always say you can't thank me enough, but it shouldn't stop you from trying. Right. Well, all right. Well, well, thank you, Craig. Uh, with that said, you have um, another intriguing player. Uh, the L.A. Kings going for Brant Clark, a great defenseman who could be maybe the most offensively gifted defenseman out of the group, even though I know that you, Luke Hughes has some offensive upside. And we talked about Edvinson, but uh, what, what, what about Brant Clark to the Kings? Well, he, he, the way he plays the game is like Eric Carlson. Uh, you know, he, he, well, I mean, he's got that creativity. He's got that magic. I can tell you this about Brad. There's never a play that, that, that he thinks he can't make. And, and most, a lot of times he makes them. And I, I just think about that creativity. I think about that, that imagination. And, you know, he, he wants the puck. He, he recognizes, hey, I can be right up at the net and the crease. And they, that might make other, other people uncomfortable doesn't make me uncomfortable because I, I think that he, he, he's got tremendous ability and an understanding of when to do it and when not to do it. He's going to continue to develop and understand. But when I see that type of a player that is that imaginative and that creative, uh, you know, and, and now I think L.A. and I think, huh, that wouldn't be a bad under, he wouldn't be a bad understudy with Drew Doughty there, would he? No, no, not at all, Andy. You know, and Drew Dowdy is still one of my all-time favorites. I, I just love him. I love his personality too. But uh, uh, yeah, and I've always been kind of a, uh, a bit of a Kings fan because uh, uh, a, a significant portion of my family moved out west, like in the early '60s. So I went to California a lot, and I, I always love those. You know, who hasn't? You know, the L.A. Kings with the Queen's crown on their jersey, oh. and you know, in the purple and the gold or the yellow, whatever. And I went out there to visit, and I was in junior high school, Craig, and I went all over L.A. trying to find any kind of Kings t-shirt, and I couldn't find it. 
You know, my aunt, my uncle out there, and my cousins, every, you know, we were, they were just, we, I was just begging for, you know, um, uh, any king's, king's paraphernalia, and you couldn't find it. This is, you know, several years ago. I mean, several decades now, probably. But, I mean, but, you know, but to see what the kings have grown into and what they become, and you can say it's the, 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 the Gretzky trade, but, uh, you know, what a, uh, what a vibrant hockey market L.A. really is. Well, we just talk about, uh, you know, pockets uh, of players that are developing in L.A. I mean, Brandon Brisson was a right. first-round draft pick to the Vegas Golden Knights. I right. Mean, he, he grew up in, 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 in the L.A. area. He, he's not the only, Emerson Edom, who was a first-round right. draft pick years ago. Uh, you know, like, when players, and I'm a huge believer, when good athletes pick a sport, they're going to be good in that sport. So, you know, when you can attract them to hockey, you're going to get good athletes becoming good hockey players. And so trying to give them not only the incentive, but also trying to give them, uh, you, you know, role models and, 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 and somebody they can emulate and see, oh, they did it, I can do it. And, and, and that's where you're trying to grow it and continually trying to get, uh, you, know, that, uh, you know, that seed that you mm -hmm. planted continue to be harvested but you got to keep planting seeds it's, it's no different than farming those seeds have to be planted continuously in year in year out and you have to help them uh you know germinate and i i, I think that la's done that uh, you know my own sidebar here mm -hmm. uh, maybe one day art when i when i reach a point where i'm just going to be uh you know not doing as much hockey i think that i have to put it, it on my list Bring back the purple L.A. Kings uniforms. Oh, it's, no it's a, doubt. It, it, right? Don't you agree with me? So, yes. I mean, you and me will be co-chairs right. to bring back the purple. You've got it. You've got it. And you know what? And I think that it would not be very difficult for that movement to gain traction. See, there we go. So so all we got to do is, is just get it going, and then it'll be like a snow bottle. Just pick, up, uh, pick it up. Well, I'll tell you, next time I see Marcel Dion at a, uh, at a Red Wing event, because, you know, he, he is now welcome back into the fold, uh, that uh, uh, I'll, I'll see if he can be our celebrity chairperson or whatever uh, to, uh, uh, to help us out on that. That would be excellent. Now, I know at number nobody, 10... Nobody wore, wore the purple and gold better. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I, I still... And I, my, my heart is still broken when, uh, you know, when he left the wings, you know, I can, I, I can remember the first time he scored a goal is Red Wing career uh, games around channel 50 back here in Detroit. Bud Lynch, the old great announcer, um, when he scored, I believe it was a blowout game against St. Louis in St. Louis. And, you know, I, I think it was his first goal. You know, you get to my age now and maybe it wasn't, but I'm pretty sure it was um, when he scored. Bud Lynch did not say, you know, Dion scores or, you know, whatever his call is. He goes, the kid scores just like that. And I was just like, so I, you know, I'm, I'm in my bedroom because grave mistake by my parents. They allowed me to have a TV in my bedroom. So I, I'm, I'm watching the, uh, I'm watching the Red Wings and, you know, this is St. Louis, you know, they're an hour behind us. It's like, I don't know, 930 at night. And I, I start screaming, you know, my parents are, what the hell's going on, Arthur? What, what What's going on? I go, Marcel Dion just scored. Marcel Dion just scored. And, you know, and then, you know, a few years later, unfortunately, 
from a Red Wing perspective, but good for hockey probably. He uh, he went out to L.A., but a great a, a great player, uh, still a great Red Wing. I mean, 120 points or something, which back then for that team was pretty unheard of. But uh, uh, it wasn't. Think about Bud too. Just back to Bud. The yeah. Great Bud Lynch, right? Like, yeah. I mean, imagine him saying, and the kid scores. How many times was he able to say that over the course of his career? Oh Think yeah. All the all the young players. Obviously, they're young when they come into Detroit. But they offered top players that came in, and the kid scores. I'm not so sure he didn't say that about Steve Eisman. Right. You know, you're probably you're probably right. I mean, it could have been his uh, his uh, his signature call there. Uh, yeah, Bud, Bud, man, you know, yeah, I miss him dearly. What a what, what a great announcer. Uh, yeah, I want to jump down because the Red Wings are picking 23rd, and uh, actually, it's the 22nd player taken because the 11th pick is forfeited by the Arizona Coyotes, but it'll still go down, I believe, in the books at 23, although it is the 22nd pick. And you have them taking, I and I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Samu... Samu Tuomala. Tuomala. Okay, I, yeah, all right. Well, what can you tell us about him? Well, I can tell you this, that he is... Uh... Uh, a really skilled player, you, you know, he's speedy, he's quick. And, and one of the things that I, Samu falls into a similar category of player when I was describing uh, players that, you know, you have to show that you can get open. You have mm -hmm. to show that you can read the game, read the situations. The NHL, you know, demands, the success at the NHL level demands, or let me emphasize it, demands that you are able to play in small spaces, that you're able to think at, at really quickly, and that you're able to handle the physical rigors. You know, be able to get through checks, you know, get leverage, however you want to do that. So when I'm watching Samu play, I see those qualities. I see he might not get the puck, but he gets open, and he knows when to get open. And I think those are it's essential criteria. The other thing that I've loved about Samu, the game gets into moments, and every game has has moments where you know uh, you, you can. It's almost like a crescendo rise, and you, somebody has to defend fiercely. Goaltender has to understand that you know what the next shot can't go in the net. Uh, a player has to be willing to try to to, to make a play or or a hit or something. Samu has that mentality. He has that mentality of like. I have to get, uh, I have to try to make an important play here. Uh, and I think that uh, combined with his skills, that, that, that that's a player that I think once he matures has an opportunity to have a chance uh, to be a good player in the NHL, a good offensive player. Very smooth skating, excellent shot, accurate, and he can make plays. A, a player that I, I'm going to put in the category from the reports I've, you know, I've read, either you love him or you hate him, and I'm kind of gaining a lot of love for him for some reason, is uh, Fabian Lysel. Uh, is that this kid is, maybe when it comes to pure talent, could be the most talented player if he can somehow put it all together. Your, your thoughts on Fabian? Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's a talented uh, scorer. That, that, that's how I would describe him. He, you know, the puck ends up on his stick, and he, he, he can shoot it. He's got an accurate release. He's got a quick release. He can also make plays in, in tight areas, in and around the net, 
where he gets the puck into a spot where he can quickly, uh, you know, force the goaltender into a save and, and, and a lot of times put it into the net. So, you know, he's got those qualities. I, I, I think that he's a, he's a right winger. He, he, he's somebody that needs uh, the puck to get to him. You know, he's not going to be one of these players that's going to be big and rugged or, you know, this unbelievable blazing skill where he can beat people one-on-one. He's going to need the benefit of a good center that can read off of him, that can get him the puck on the move. And I, I think, it, like, one of the things with Fabian is, is developmental. I, I think he needs to find a half a step of quickness. And I'm not... And, do I think he can? Yeah, I think he can. And now we'll continue to watch to see if he, like, you know, to what extent. Because as I talked about the NHL, defenders close ice on you. They, they lean on you. One of the things that Jack used in his rookie year, you know, he comes in, superb skating player. But after his rookie year, he, he recognized, he said, my skating used to always give me that second of time. Right. That extra three feet of space. He goes... The NHL, all the defensemen can skate. The back pressure is unbelievable. The skate, he goes, my skating didn't give me that opportunity like it did at the lower levels. And that's where I think Fabian has to be able to work and develop that part of his game. Because he'll get closed off too. And, you know, again, I go back to half a second. You know, a half a second is the difference between getting your shot off or the defenseman getting his stick on it and deflecting it out of harm's way. That half a second is really important. That half a step of quickness gives you it. Wow, wow, that's uh, you know, Craig. I, I can go, I can go on, and, and I, I promise I'm going to wrap this up uh, very soon. But there are a couple of other players that maybe Red Wing fans should be aware of, or you wouldn't be too surprised if, if available, when Detroit picks that these might be guys they could nab. Oh, oh, do you want me to name a couple? Yes. Okay, just give me one second. Like, uh, like in the in the. the... 25th pick? Yeah, some somewhere around there, or I, I, I mean, I'm just, or, or maybe guys that you like, you know, guys that we should just look out for regardless of if the Red Wings take them or not. Well, I, you know, I mentioned Zachary LaHaroon. Right. Okay, and I, I, I love him. Let me just tell you, like, like, you know, it's almost embarrassing how much I love him. <laughs> but uh, uh, my, my love for him is, 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 is unabashed. He reminds me so much of Brad Marchand. I, when I say reminds me of Brad Marchand, I'm talking right down to the edge and the offensive ability. So when you, th- again, and you heard me earlier talk about unique players. I, I right. think, I think that Owen Power is a unique player. I think Sebastian Alcosa is a unique player. I think that Zachary Laharu is a unique player. So when I start to look at, uh, at, at, at uh, potential players that, you know, you might want to look at, he, he's somebody that quickly comes to mind. And, you know, he, could he go early? Yeah, he could go earlier. Could he, could he be there when the, when the Red Wings pick or other teams pick? Yeah, but, mm-hmm. but that's, that's a player that, that I really uh, hold in high regard, really hold in high regard. I think that, you know, the way he plays and what he brings to a, to a team is really significant. And so, so, so you, know, the, you know, that's where I get with him. You know, another player, and, and you know, I'm going to name two more players that, you know, certainly could, uh, you know, be in a spot. You know, I don't know. I really like Aturati. Yes. And, okay. And so, you know, I'll I, I tell you who he reminds me of, first of all. He reminds me of William Carlson. So William Carlson is a really good two-way center. 
And do I think that, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, that I think that Atu Ratu could, could end up being a player considered at the top end of the draft? Absolutely, I did. But I, I, I think there has to be a measure uh, of, of acknowledgement that, okay, maybe he wasn't at that level. But I see a really good player. I mentioned William Carlson, uh, Valtteri Filpula. You know, how good was Valtteri Filpula? And I think Atu oh. Ratu can be similar to, to those two types of players uh, and in terms of the way he plays the game. You talk about hockey sense, I think this kid's got it. I, and he's, a, he's six foot two, he's an excellent skater, six foot one, he's an excellent skater, and, and he can play the game two ways. And I, I, I think that's really, really valuable. Another player is a Swedish player by the name of Oscar Olesson. Ooh, I like and, him. Yeah, and you know, when I watch him play, and, and again, like I'm, I'm talking about type, I'm not saying he's going to be at this level, but he, he, he gives me a lot of the same type of play that Miko Rantanen mm. demonstrates uh, with, the, with the Colorado Avalanche. You know, he's big, he's rangy, he can make plays, he can hold off players. You know, he's a left shot, right side, uh, right winger. And so, you know, those are some of the players that I think that, uh, you know, at that point in the draft, somewhere in that area, you know, could be available, may be of interest to the to the uh, Detroit Red Wings. But, but I think they're good players, and I, and I think they have potential. And so when you start to look down the list of, of, of players to maybe keep your eye on, you know, those would be a few that I would say keep an eye on. All right. Sounds great, Craig. There were so many more questions I wanted to ask you. I'll tell you what, maybe when this is all said and done, including uh, uh, when free agency looks like it's going to calm itself done uh, uh, and Red Wings have all their picks, we'll have you on again. Like, uh, and, and we'll do this again and we'll we'll, we'll review everything and uh, uh, see, see where we're at. I, I wish we could go on. I could go on, but unfortunately, I know you're busy and uh, Red Wings have made a trade and, you know, there's all, all kinds of things happening. So for you to take this much time time out of your busy day to join us on the red and white authority again i cannot thank you enough art it is always my pleasure whenever i get a note to join you it always excites me and i always look forward to that time and i'll tell you this whenever you would like me to come on and talk with you and we can spend time together it's always something that not only do I look forward to, I value. So thank you. Well, I'm, I'm you know, as they like to say, and I know who they are, but right back at you, Craig. I, I really appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Sir.